eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease and a whole lot of love, you transform 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. LED headlights, spoilers, whatever you need. eBay Motors has it at affordable prices. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride every time. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Welcome to the NASCAR and NBC podcast. I'm your host, Nate Ryan, back here at NBC Sports Charlotte, where we are joined by the mayor, Jeff Burton. Jeff, thanks for being here for our latest episode. I'm tired. You're tired. <laughs> <laughs> Yesterday got me tired, man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, usually I, I try to do a little bit more of an intro, but there's so much to talk about, we're not going to get to all of it. So we'll just dive right into the Roval, the first round cutoff race in the 2019 NASCAR playoffs. A mentally, physically exhausting race for many, but a hugely entertaining race, I think, for the second consecutive year. And it starts with the winner, Chase Elliott, who manages to stuff his number nine Chevrolet into the tire barrier in turn one while leading on a restart near the start of the final stage and then comes from 31st all the way to first to win on fresh tires. Uh, Jeff, the best and worst race that Chase Elliott has ever driven <laughs> all at once, maybe? Well, you know, that mistake in turn one, although it looks stupid and it looks, I know it embarrassed him, it's really easy to make. We've seen it made several times. Um, you know, we were fortunate that the, the, our group in the in the truck, you know, was able to get a tremendous amount of data. And after last year's race, I started to realize that the speed that they carry into turn one on the restart is so much greater than they do at any other time. And then our guys were able to get that data and show that data, and that helped explain why it's so easy to make that mistake. That's just – it's counterintuitive to everything you've ever done as a race car driver. Normally you drive into turn one harder than you do any other time on a restart. And there you have to actually do the opposite. And you're on cold tires. You, it's just a lot – there's everybody stacked up. It just makes it really difficult. So it looks silly, yeah. and, but, but when you really get down to it, you understand why it happened – I have a lot of uh, empathy for him because I'm like, you know, that I, I could have done that yeah. very, very easily. Is it comparable at all to driving into turn one at Watkins Glen? No, uh, because yeah. because turn one in Watkins Glen, you're approaching it actually slower huh. on, a, on a restart than you are on a normal lap. So, you know, now the, the thing that is the same is that everybody's funneling into the same place and people are trying to make it three wide, four wide. Uh, that part of it's the same. But the, the part where you have to check yourself up and actually break sooner – because it's actually faster, uh, that part that part is different. The drive that Chase Elliott put on, I know we compared it to, and or I compared it to the drive that his dad had at Talladega when he came from two laps down to win. He truly went from 31st to first and passed virtually every competitive car in the field. Yeah. Uh, what does that say about Chase as a driver? So listen, I, I I no disrespect to Bill Elliott and what they did at Talladega, but they had a car that was so much faster and uh, driving at Talladega is much, much e easier than driving at the Roval. And Chase Elliott, what he did – I mean, Steve caught – Steve off-air said uh, Chase Elliott wins this race, and I went, this was This was like with 20 laps to go. Uh, I, yeah. I, I looked at <laughs> what, what are you talking about? Right. And 
kept watching, and I'm like, yeah. And because he was so much faster in the breaking zones uh, into both chicanes, especially on the front straightaway, but even in the slower part of the of the interior of the racetrack where no one was trying to pass, he could make passes. And and it was incredible to see him do that, but then also do that on that racetrack and not make a mistake, not tear the fender off of it, not do something on a restart, having to come back through that field, exceptionally impressive. You know, Martin Truex Jr. and Chase Elliott, right? I, I, I don't know how you can't put Chase Elliott in. Not I can't put him in that same category because he hadn't won as much but he's working himself really close. On road courses, certainly. He's won now. He won at the Glen. Yep. He's won twice at the Glen. He wins this race. And how much of it was car and how much of it is driver? I guess it's hard to tell. But obviously, Chase Elliott is a really talented road course racer. Well, I, listen, I, I, the driver matters. The driver matters everywhere. And, and the driver matters more, I think, in a place like the Roval, a place like Darlington, uh, those kind of racetracks. The driver has way, way, way more input. Um, and, uh, yeah, so you got to give Chase Elliott and his willingness to get better, his willingness to work and find a way to become a better road course racer. But then Hendrick Motorsports bringing in the cars. That he, and Alex Bowman, he was fast all weekend. William Byron was fast all weekend. Jimmy Johnson ran well all weekend. So Hendrick Motorsports had brought some really fast race cars to the racetrack. Going to get to Bowman in one second, but just to put a bow on the Roval itself and going into turn one on those restarts, I know that on the pace laps, you got a chance to drive the course and kind of take people around, tell them what that was like. And I think that final chicane, you actually had a little trouble navigating. Yeah. I mean, drove in there a little too deep. Uh, yeah, uh, and, and of course, you don't do that on the restart. You go past that and go directly into turn one, and like you said, you're trying to slow down more than anywhere else. I mean, your thoughts after making those laps just on... The course itself and navigating it for restarts, how difficult all of that is. Yeah, so so my understanding of the Roval goes back to last year, early, early last year. Marcus Smith gave me a call, said, hey, man, come over here. I want to show you, show you what we're doing. I'm, I well, you're doing what? You know, <laughs> and, and I rode over there with full intention of saying, Marcus, this is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. What in the hell are yeah, you doing? Yeah, and I, I was, <laughs> I went over there impassioned. I'm going to talk him out of this <laughs> stupid crap. <laughs> and I get over there and drive around the course, which isn't the same course it is, is today, but I drove around the course and I went, this could work. You know, and I kind of opened my mind to the track wasn't everything that I had preconceived it to be. And once that happened, I'm like, you know what, this could work. And then I, he started talking to me about the other changes they were going to make and all the plans they had. And then I'm like, Yes, this, this is a great idea. And then after watching both races and the cutoff races, I mean, it's been phenomenal. It's been really fun. It's been exciting. Uh, I hope, you know, for the fans that are at the track, what's so cool about it is that they get to see. There's so much of the track that they can see. It's so unlike any other road course. I hope they have a way of keeping up with all the stuff that's going on with the playoff guys, right? Like, I hope that they're constantly showing the points as they run today. And I wasn't paying attention to that. But that would that we just have to make sure that at track experience is as awesome as it is on TV, because there's nothing like the smell and the sound and the feel. I sat in the uh, grandstands and watched Xfinity qualifying, and it's it's fascinating. Like it's crazy to watch those cars go around that racetrack. And our broadcast, I'm biased, but our broadcast I thought did a fantastic job conveying all of the excitement of the second half when you're pretty much following three people: Eric Almirola, Ryan Newman. Alex Bowman. A little bit Chase Elliott, of course, because he's going to win the race. Yeah. But the other three guys are on that playoff cut line, and I want to focus on Bowman. 
that, that could be Hendrick Motorsports' comeback part two. I mean, he's 20 points out at the end of the second stage. It, he's, he's had this horrific weekend where he crashed his car with 30 seconds left in final practice, you know, spins out on the first lap of the Roval, gets into a thing with Bubba Wallace, and you're thinking, this guy's almost trying not to advance. Yeah, it felt wrecked, like. wrecked in turn one. Wrecked in turn Got one. Got wrecked in turn one. And then somehow the last 30 laps probably drives the race of his life. And so I, I feel like we have a really good team. I don't know, it's 20 laps to go or something, and Junior looks at me and he says, don't count at that 88. And I'm like, <laughs> sure enough, I look back there and I'm like, man, he's on tires. He's been pretty fast all weekend. Starts slicing his way through the field. I'm like, this could happen. And then you go back and watch the six. What's he got going on? Then you're watching the 10, trying to keep up with what he has going on. And it was just crazy. But Alex Bowman, in a day where it looked like the moment was too big for him, Right? It really did. It looked like it was just too much. And he, he, he got himself in trouble in practice, and now he felt like he had to go make that up, starting from the back. First lap problem, continual problems all day long, a spat with Bubba, all those things. And I'm just sitting there thinking, you know what? He wasn't ready for it. And I don't think he was. I think that he had to collect himself. And he got by with some mistakes, right? He had some good luck to get by with those mistakes. But once he got by with them and got himself calmed down and went to the task at hand, he made it happen. And I think that get, should give him a tremendous amount of confidence in the fact that he can be ready for that moment. That when all that pressure stacks up on top of you, and if you think for a minute, I don't care, and I, Alex Bowman, if you watch this, I don't care what you told anybody <laughs> Sunday morning. There's no way he slept Saturday night. Right. There's no way he felt good about anything. It was horrible. And, and I've been there. I know what that feels like. And, and it showed early in the race. But he, he got by with it and then collected himself and went and made it happen. And I think that's moving forward. That was not because he just moved forward in the playoffs, but for him as a driver, for him as an athlete that's going to find himself behind, that's something he can rely on. He can lean back on and say, man, I did this. And he can laugh at himself for doing the things he did early in the race, but pat himself on the back and take pride in the things he did at the end of the race. Because, I mean, he, he, was, he was awesome. He was incredible. On, yeah. on one, on one, in one day, he was awful and incredible <laughs> at the same time. But the incredible won. Yeah. Right? The incredible one. And he can lean on that. And I feel like we should we can put this in context a little bit more. I mean, a lot of people know he got his first win in Cup at Chicagoland a few months ago. But this is his second year at Hendrick. The team still needs a sponsor for next year. I'm sure that's a little bit of external pressure. They, they have been very good for a couple of months. Yep. And then, yes, like tires mattered. And I think he was on tires that were probably 15 to 20 laps fresher. But I mean, he passed Truex, Harvick, Kozlowski. He passed like every great driver, road course racer. In the and everybody but Chase Elliott. Yep, and and he was fast during the weekend. He had good speed during the weekend. Made some mistakes. Obviously, we've talked about it throughout the whole weekend. But he had good speed throughout the whole weekend. And I just I think that he should take a lot of confidence from that. Of course, there was another story uh, for Alex Bowman that happened after the race. He's dehydrated. He's getting medical attention next to his car. He's eventually put on a cart and taken to the care center. Before that happened, though. We mentioned he had a, a little bit of an incident with Bubba. He spun Bubba out, coming out of the backstretch chicane. Bubba comes over, splashes some liquid, and then marches away. What did you make of this incident? First well, time? listen, I, a couple things. I, I, yeah. Bubba Wallace was mad because he got run into, and he should have been mad, right? But you can't – got to 
tell the guy you're mad and then move on, right? Or tell the guy you're mad in a way that that guy is in a position where he has to decide if he wants to move on. But, you know, Bubba needs to understand that things happen in racing, and there are times that you are a victim of somebody's mistakes, and there's times you're a victim of somebody not caring about you, right? And there's two different things. Somebody can intentionally wreck you deserves a different response than somebody not, you know, making a mistake, okay? And Bubba's got to find a way to differentiate those things. And uh, to continually flip a guy off lap after lap exposes you to getting wrecked. And so I had sympathy for Bubba Wallace because he got wrecked early in the race. And I fully think Bubba Wallace should let people know, look, you're not going to do that. But you don't do it over and over and over to a guy that's running behind you that holds your fate in his hands. And I, I mean, Bubba's got to grow up a little bit. I mean, Bubba's got to recognize that there's a time and a place and a right time and a right place. And, and then after the race, you know, listen, emotions, you got to be able to check yourself. When you walk up to that car and you see Alex Bowen on the ground, um, it's time to just turn around and walk away. Now, I know that's hard to do, and it's easy to say from an air-conditioned booth. But I've been in that situation before where I, I went to go visit somebody exceptionally mad. And same thing. Guy was <laughs> in bad shape in yeah. the hauler. And I left. I just walked out, right? Yeah. It wasn't the time and it wasn't the place. And um, he just needed to collect himself a little bit there. But, you know, sport's hard. Bubba's talked publicly about the, the troubles he's had. But I think it would do Bubba some well to just – be a little more situationally aware of what's going on. You have to, you can't take crap from anyone, right? But at the same time, you have to, you have to be smart in how you do that. And sometimes with a guy like Alex Bowman, who's not known for wrecking people, it's a conversation after the race, right? It's not a continual flip off. Which Bubba had with Daniel Suarez. Suarez approached him in this instance. And by the way, and, and Suarez made it very clear if you flip him off, right? And then Bubba did the same thing to somebody else. So, yeah. Lesson needs to be learned there. What about for Bowman? He said he spun Bubba because he got flipped off for three straight laps. Hooks him in the right rear coming out of the backstretch chicane. Does he deserve any criticism for yeah, that? Yeah, because there's a better way to do that. And I will say this, that's a part of the racetrack that's relatively slow. I mean, they're going pretty slow. But when you catch somebody in the right rear quarter panel and, and send them around, with, you know, it's just not – that's not cool. Yeah. Uh, listen, it's a great point because – the same conversation needs to be had with, with Alex Bowman. Look, man, like, I get it, you know, but you want to spend somebody out, that's fine, but you, 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 you hook them in the right rear and send them to the wall, that's, that's not cool. Well, we know that uh, NASCAR said today Steve O'Donnell will have a discussion with Bubba Wallace before Dover. We'll see if uh, maybe the same is awaiting Alex Bowman. Uh, those weren't the only guys who were seemed mad at each other. We mentioned Daniel Suarez took issue with Bubba, I think, after Pocono. Looked like he and Ryan Newman weren't exactly happy with each other. Yeah, after this race yeah. Either. You know, Ryan. Ryan had a stressful day. Ryan, you know, Ryan was in his <laughs> trying to do the Ryan Newman things, and um, you know, he made a mistake in the chicane that that may have cost him a chance to move into the next round of the playoffs. And and then it looked like to me Ryan made a mistake uh, in in NASCAR turn four and and got and got Daniel up in the wall. And I, if I was Daniel, I'd have been upset as well. Yeah. Uh, um, and Daniel. I think, had every right to go down and have a conversation. Newman's day, uh, there were a lot of people who were looking at him. He came in fairly comfortable uh, and then just didn't run well at all throughout the race. Yeah, and, and I think um, – I don't think that 
we're all very surprised about that. I mean, when, you, when you're a company that's trying to gather yourself the way Roush Fenway is, right, there's only so many places you can put resources. And I have a hard time believing that Roush Fenway has been in the last few years able to put resources into road course racing the way Hendrick, the way Gibbs, the way Penske has been able to because they've been trying to catch up. And that's nothing against Roush Fenway. It's just the reality of the situation. If you look at where you are in the grand scheme of things, is that really where we're going to spend our, our money and our time and effort and energy when we have all these other races? But then coming to the, uh, the Roval, there's a price to be paid for that. So we, we've seen it with Ganassi on the super speedways. I mean, they've been horrible on the super speedways because they haven't been paying attention to it because they've been trying to catch up in other places. So, you know, it was an uphill battle for them coming to the Roval. Ryan Newman doing Ryan Newman things had themselves had they were in yes they were in yes uh, he made a mistake getting into the getting into the rear chicane he and ninety percent of the other drivers at some point probably <laughs> made the same mistake <laughs> yes and it was just it was at an inopportune moment so I I want to talk a little bit about guys who didn't get talked about as much but got through and I know that one that you were talking about earlier today I heard you say was Ryan Blaney yep. had this hugely impressive performance where it, it looked like he was potentially out of it at the end of stage two making adjustments whatever on pit in the pits and then the team basically put him back out on the track and said it's on you man good luck and he did it yeah they they, they had him out there you know they got their problems fixed and they got him in a situation where they got some track position by just putting fuel no tires and he had tires all around him and I thought that showed the utmost confidence in Ryan. I, I just thought it was, uh, I thought it was a really cool strategy played by his crew chief, uh, and then for him to just put it on his hands and you know, go do it. Right? It ended up he ended up he had a pretty good margin to make, but we didn't know that at the time. And had he got a bad restart, had he gotten behind a few people with better tires, it would have been a really big uphill battle, which is what happened to Eric. Amarola, he had he didn't get a good restart. They restarted like seventh and went all the way back to twelfth, and now he's surrounded by tires. And he just kept falling and falling and falling. And he alluded to that in the in his post races that he didn't get a good restart and the strategy, the two things combined, put him in a position where now they're pitting behind everybody and he's on tires way later than the rest of the field, and that cost him. I mean, this is such a tough race for drivers that we were talking about, but crew chiefs as well. I mean, oh. Although in that instance, I guess, is, I don't know, the philosophy you sort of hold to that just stay with the guys you're trying well, to race so, okay, points. Okay. Don't get off sequence from those Well, but, but his teammate was the first car in front of him. On, his teammate was in front of him on the racetrack on the same strategy. Clint Boyer. Yes. And it worked for him. Yeah. So if you're... You know, if you're Cosmire today and you're like, yeah, work for them. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's yeah. what's – but when you have when you have those tires, you have older tires and there's newer tires behind you, you have to do everything perfect. And if you make any mistake whatsoever, it just swarms you. Clint Boyer and William Byron both advanced. And uh, I thought it was interesting, Jeff, they both had quiet days. Uh, they didn't make the highlight reels and on – this day, that was a really good thing, actually, right? That's what they needed. I was really impressed with both drivers. Both drivers did exactly what they needed. They both got tons of stage points. Uh, they ran the program exactly the way it was needed. They made no mistakes, uh, no highlight reels. They got themselves in a situation late in the race where they could just be really smart, not, you know, not put themselves in tough positions, and they were near each other, which I thought was good for them. 
right? I thought them being kind of near each other, that was a good thing. And they were around, for the most part, people that were in kind of similar situations, with the exception of Bowman. And you knew Bowman was going to be going. And that's why I'm, you know, you heard the conversation from the spotter to, 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 uh, to Clint. Hey, man, just let him go. Just let him go. That was just really, really smart racing. And, you know, and that's honestly, with, with Clint and his team, that's not what they've been doing. Right, the you lack know, of execution. The lack of execution. And, and, you know, and Clint and I are good friends, but the truth is a lot of it's been on him. I mean, he's made some mistakes at inopportune moments. And and um, and then the, between that and pit stops and a car that doesn't drive well and whatever, next thing you know, you're fighting for your life. After the the way Boyer kind of, I think the team's limped into the playoffs a little bit, to have that moment at the end of the first round advance, it, it, does that help him a lot confidence? It helps him, but the problem the problem is that now it gets even harder. Yes, yes. You know, so when you look at points now, you know, he's got 3,000 points, and Kyle Larson in eighth has 3,006, right? But in, in seventh is Kozlowski with 3,024. So right now you're already behind 24 points, you know what I mean? And you have five people in front of you. So it's going to become harder to transfer to the next round. Yeah, I and mean, you look at I – mean, Chase Elliott certainly is, I think, somebody we have to look at now. But <laughs> you look at the other names, I mean, Kyle Busch, Truex, Hamlin, Logano, Keselowski, I mean, all the, the hitters. Do you think any of these four, Bowman, Blaney, Byron, Boyer, the four who were able to, to work their way through in Charlotte, any of those guys catch your eye of maybe making it to the third round? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. I, I – uh, so Blaney was really good and. Alex and Blaney both in the races coming up have really good records. Like, they've done really well in the races that are coming up. So, yeah, I, I think those two, you know, Blaney too. I mean, Blaney runs well. I, the, the, the top eight aren't going through the next three races without problems. I mean, I know Kyle Busch has this extraordinary lead, yes. but they have not been good. No, and Talladega is lurking as the middle I mean, race of that yeah. second round. And, yeah. and, I mean, Kyle's going to haul ass at Dover. I mean, I'll tell you, though, he, he was asked about it Friday, and we know he wasn't happy after the Dover race in May, one of many times he has expressed unhappiness. And Friday, he didn't sound all that optimistic. He, so. but he's not optimistic about anything at the moment. <laughs> I mean, he's just not. I mean, he's just, yeah. he, he's just not. He just has, he's just not optimistic. And going yeah. to Dover, you're exactly right. With that big spoiler and all that power, they are hauling ass. Yes. Like, I, I, I was there for the spring race, and I stood up on top of uh, – I stood up on top of Kevin Harvick's trailer right there in turn one and turns two. And I was like, oh, That's my Christ. God. Yeah. And then he came in after his first run, and I walked down and stuck my head in the <laughs> window, and I said, dude. He's like, oh, this is fast. I mean, he could not. I mean, it was crazy <laughs> how fast it is. But Kurt, Kyle's going to have to get over it. And you think he'll be okay. You think he'll be okay at Dover at least. And then, of course, Talladega is well, a so, disruption. Well, so – it's going to be hard to pass it over, mm-hmm. period, end of story. It's going to be hard to pass, and Kyle's going to have to brace himself for that. He's going to have to brace himself for a very difficult race where aerodynamically, when you're in second, you're going to be disadvantaged. It is what it is, and he's going to have to find a way to get above his dislike for the package. I believe that. I believe that you can't race with anger. I think you have to race with passion, and you ha- you know. But, but he's an extraordinary race car driver. He can get by with some things that, that I surely couldn't have gotten by with. 
He was in a little bit of controversy again Sunday. I just want to get your take. He, he retires in 37th place. The listed reason is suspension. He went on Twitter last night and said, hey, we had a broken sway bar. There was nothing left to gain. The red flag comes out with 10 laps to go, and we park it in the garage, and I get up because there's nothing to gain, basically. What was your read on all of that? Um, you know, I don't know. I, I Part of me is like, never quit. You know, I mean, I grew up in an era where you took pride in doing whatever it took to be on that racetrack when a checkered flag fell. However, he was right. There really wasn't anything to gain. And if they come down pit road and they can fix it, right, if, if they can fix it, you know, what is he going to gain that's going to help him win the championship? He's not going to get a playoff point. So what was he going to gain? That's, that's just... That's probably one of the negatives in this this rules package is that, you know, Kyle and his team really could say, well, you know, we don't have anything to gain. But that's foreign, you know, yeah. just stopping is foreign. But it's, it's I don't know. I'm, 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 yeah. I'm not sure what to think. It confuses me a little bit. So my, I guess my question would have been to you, a broken sway bar doesn't make it completely undrivable. No, but it makes it, it completely uncompetitive. Yes. Yeah, but not necessarily like a safety hazard or. Uh, yeah. It's just, yeah. it's just, just the thing is difficult. the thing is horrible to drive, yeah. and and uh, you're not gonna. I mean, you might pass some guys that are horrible that have also had issues, but but you're not gonna go up. I mean, listen, man. I mean, Paul Menard ran good all day, and he finished uh, he finished 16th. Ryan Priest finished 21st. You weren't gonna pass him, you know what I mean? So. You know, I, I hear what Kyle and his team are saying. Let's wrap up here. Uh, you, you talked up uh, the Roval earlier and how you were part from the beginning and you've seen it develop, but year two has been widely accepted. Uh, room for another race like no, this? Hell no. <laughs> this is the only hybrid so oval. Listen to me. <laughs> so Really listen this time. So this we have to learn from our mistakes. History is a hell of a teacher. If we just t- take a step back and listen. And, and – I know you fans are going to disagree with me when I say this, but the reason we have so many mile and a halfs is because the fans wanted them. You know, they weren't popping out of the ground because fans said, we don't want mile and a halfs. You know, fans were liking the bigger racetracks and liking the faster speeds. They were liking all that stuff. So we pop, 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 build all these mile and a halfs, right? And so now fans are like, wait, wait, stop, wait, more short tracks. So... Let's learn from our mistakes. Let's let's let the Roval be the Roval. Let's let it be a special event. Let's keep it in the playoffs and make it that unique, special race that you don't get every week. And because of that, no, there isn't room for another one in my eyes. Now, would it be a, a cool race? Sure. But I think diluting a product makes it worse. Even if it's good, too much of a good thing is no longer a good thing. And uh, I, think, I think we're seeing that in other sports. I think other sports have said, wow, we got all this good stuff going on, so let's play a game this night, this day, this day, this day. And next thing you know, that football day isn't so special anymore. You know, we hear it probably at college, Thursday night football. You, I think those sports are, are seeing a little bit of that as well. All right. The mayor has spoken. I'm sure you have Marcus and NASCAR in everybody's ear. <laughs> 
as well, Probably. just like last time. Probably not at all, because <laughs> Marcus was going to do whatever the hell he wanted to do anyway. I, just, I was going to try my best, but it wasn't going to work. It worked out okay. Uh, <laughs> thanks a lot for being here, man. Appreciate it. It's fun. Our thanks again to Jeff Burton for joining us on the playoff edition of the NASCAR NBC podcast. This was our fourth episode. It's available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you download your podcasts. Also available on YouTube if you want to watch the video version of this podcast with highlights from the race that we're talking about, in this case, the Roval. So lots of good video content to go with everything you heard Jeff Burton talking about in this episode. You can go to the Motorsports on NBC YouTube channel and check that out. Also subscribe. We've got lots of great video and lots of great content on there. Uh, we'll have another edition of the NASCAR and NBC podcast after the Dover race which will be taking place this Sunday from Dover International Speedway. The NASCAR America pre-race show gets started 1.30 p.m. Eastern on Sunday on NBCSN. Countdown to green at 2 p.m. Eastern on NBCSN, and then the green flag from Dover shortly after 2.30 p.m. Eastern on NBCSN. And then after the NBCSN post-race show, we'll also have the victory lap show from Stanford, 6.30 p.m. on NBCSN. This Sunday, that'll be with Daniel Trotta, Parker Kligerman, and myself. So be sure to check that out. Lots of good coverage coming from Dover this Sunday on NBCSN. And as always, you can send me feedback on Twitter at Nate Ryan is my handle. Thanks again for listening to the NASCAR NBC podcast. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispie, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.